Pure Dog Talk is the voice of purebred dogs. We talk to the legends of the sport and give you the tips and tools to create an awesome life with your purebred dog. From showing to preservation breeding, from competitive obedience to field work, from agility to therapy dogs, and all the fun in between, your passion is our purpose. Pure Dog Talk is proudly sponsored by Trupanion, medical insurance for pets. It's an uncertain time for many of us, and Trupanion wants to help ease concerns by sharing their knowledge with the animal community. They've formed a COVID Council of Veterinarians dedicated to hosting webinars and helping to answer pet owners' questions. Trupanion is committed to helping pets, whether that's through distributing information or ensuring their team remains operating at full capacity to process your claims. If you're a breeder, they also have a program that allows you to send your litters home with a special offer so you can have peace of mind and you know that your puppies are covered in their new homes. You can learn more by following the link at the website, puredogtalk.com. Don't forget to tell them Pure Dog Talk sent you. Welcome to Pure Dog Talk. I am your host, Laura Reeves. And I have with us again, one of my very, very favorite returning guests of all time, Dr. Marty Greer. And we just decided that what we're talking about today is called scary, weird stuff that happens to girl dogs. <laughs> we're laughing because it's a funny name, but it is a very fraught subject and it is a very scary subject. And it's prompted by a listener who just went through a scary situation. So welcome, Marty. Thank you for being here to help us work through some of this stuff. I always love being here. Thanks for inviting me. So on our list, prolapsed uterus, vaginal hyperplasia, inguinal hernia with a uterus in it, which is just boggling my mind, torsioned uterine horn, ovarian tumor, and spay or don't spay during a C-section. So that's a lot of stuff. So let's, can we start with the prolapsed uterus, talk about what that is, what that looks like, what might cause it, and what we do about it? Sure. I think that's a great place to start. So there's uterine prolapses and there's vaginal prolapse or vaginal hyperplasia. And probably vaginal hyperplasia is a more appropriate term for the vaginal prolapse. A uterine prolapse is really rare in dogs. We see it a little bit more commonly in cats, still not common. Really common in dairy cows. Saw them all the time in dairy cows. So the uterine prolapse literally means that the uterus turns inside out, like you pull a sock inside out, and the uterus passes through the vagina. Now, of course, it's still attached by the ovaries and the blood vessels that run to the ovaries and the ligaments and all the things that go with that. But the exposure of the lining of the uterus then is protruding out through the vaginal lips, and it's disturbing. Like I said, I've never seen it in a dog. It's reported every now and then. I actually have when I was a kid. It is disturbing. I'm going to go with disturbing. Yeah. <laughs> Mom, there's something wrong with this dog. <laughs> yeah, to yeah. say the least. So it's not common in dogs. Like I said, I've never seen it in a dog, but I've seen it in cats. And it's challenging because usually the bladder's inside the uterus and then they can't urinate. And of course, it's an outdoor cat. It's a barn cat. It's something that isn't in and out of the house. And so they come in and they've got this really awful mess because their bladder is huge and the uterus is exposed. And it's frequently after kittens have been born or in the case of a dog, puppies have been born and almost always in dairy cows. Well, it happens in beef cows too. I don't want to discriminate here. 
it happens in all cows, but it usually happens after calving that they push the calf out and then they merrily go on their way and they push the uterus out as well. And I have never personally replaced a cow's uterus, but my husband was a dairy practitioner for 23 years. So this was a regular farm call that he was called out on him, probably his least favorite farm call. Because usually by the time they got out there, it had been out for a while and the cow was in trouble and the farmer had been trying for a while. And so it's a bit on the messy side because they don't usually take them to surgery and spay them, although you can. My daughter came into the office one night. We were doing a C-section on a dog and she'd been out on farm calls with my husband. And she was probably about 11 or 12 years old. And so she's watching this C-section and there's blood associated with that. And then she'd just been out on the farm call where she held one end of the board because you put a board between the farmer and the kid to hold the uterus up so that a husband can stuff it back in. And she comes into the office and she's like, so mom, she says, these are all these girl things. She says, I'm never having children. <laughs> well, she was almost right. She was 34 before she had her first child. I think we had oh some serious emotional impact on this kid because of all the uterus things that she oh saw my gosh. as a child. Yeah. Maybe that's my excuse. <laughs> why I never had kids. Oh my gosh. So do we have any inclination as to what may cause this to happen? Either the prolapsed uterus or the vaginal hyperplasia, where you've got a body part outside of the body where it doesn't belong. Sure. A uterine prolapse is just an unfortunate random event, sort of. I don't think there's an explanation for it. Mm. Vaginal hyperplasia, there's definitely a breed and a family predilection to it. Commonly see it in other epicephalics. Of course, it's one more thing to put on the list of what pugs, bull mastiffs, French bulldogs, you know, all the short-faced dogs have an increased risk of vaginal hyperplasia, although I've seen it in a family of Chesapeake Bay Retrievers, and you can see it in almost any breed. It's just more common in the epicephalics. To be really honest, it has a familial or a genetic predisposition to it. So unfortunately, this is something that probably could be better managed if people would stop breeding their dogs. But the line of Chesapeake's that I saw were otherwise fabulous enough dogs that they wanted to perpetuate the genetics. So we got to continually see dogs with vaginal hyperplasia. And it's not serious from the perspective of dogs don't die from it, but it's smelly and it's icky and stuff sticks to the vaginal tissues that are exposed. And they can be a little tricky to correct. I was reading something last night about it and they're like, oh, this is really easy to fix. Well, it's not that easy to fix. It can be fixed. You have to be careful that you don't involve the urethra so that the dog can't urinate after the surgery. I do some of them with just a local anesthetic, and it doesn't seem to be especially problematic for the dog, but it's a little bit tedious to place all the sutures that you need to place and then remove the tissue you need to remove and all those things. And usually we see it when the bitches are in heat or close to standing heat, and that's most frequently when we see it. But some of those dogs, and even some dogs that didn't have it at that point, will have it at the time the progesterone drops again at the time of whelping. So if it happens at whelping, there's pretty much no decision. It's a C-section. If it happens at breeding, you may want to consider spaying her, although I tend to be conservative on spaying and I try not to spay when they're in heat for a lot of reasons. That we're going to get to. (laughs) But it's typically associated with being in heat. So that's when we see it. But the progesterone on its way up, and then when it drops back down again, occasionally we'll see it at that point. Okay. And so talk to me about, I'm having a hard time even envisioning this, an inguinal hernia where the uterus is involved in the hernia. Yeah, and that's really unfortunate. The first one I saw, I was a brand new baby graduate. I was trying to spay a coonhound that had this swelling in her inguinal region or in the groin. 
and took her to surgery and her uterus had slid down into the hernia and had been in there for an extended period of time. So it was adhered into it. And my surgical skills at that point were still fairly youthful. And (laughs) in spite of that, the dog survived, but it was not an easy surgery for the dog or for poor me. I was a little scarred after that. Not only was the dog. So it can be a little bit tricky because of the adhesions, but I've since seen it in two bitches that were pregnant. One of them was a former employee of mine. She came in with her dog, a little dachshund, and she said, I worked for this other vet at this point, and so she said, I took her in yesterday and had her ultrasounded, and they said she wasn't pregnant, but I kind of feel like she is. Well, she's a little dachshund, so I got down on my knees. When I looked up at the former employee, she looked at me and said, oh, no. Apparently, I gave it away because I could feel that the uterus wasn't in the abdomen, but was rather subcutaneous outside the abdomen. And I've since heard of it in another dachshund. So it may, again, have a familial relationship there. Wow. So is this a case where a puppy had like a juvenile hernia? It was bigger than the index finger. They didn't fix it. And then things just came out. Is that what we're talking about? She was unaware that the dog had a hernia until that day. So I don't know if that was the case or not, because she hadn't previously been diagnosed with it. But once we diagnosed her, I sent her to see a surgeon. I actually called the vet school. And they told me if I sent her there that the only treatment she would receive was a spay. So I took her to a different surgeon. And the surgeon, who's brilliant, was able to replace the uterus into her abdomen, save the pregnancy. And, of course, we did a C-section for her because we didn't want her well, yeah, <laughs> pushing puppies out on a recently repaired inguinal hernia because we were afraid that it might open again. But she went on to produce no puppies of her own or grand puppies of her own. She's a champion dachshund and continued to show her, and she did not produce dogs with that. And I don't believe the other dachshund that was equally affected was from her lines. It was, I believe, a different line of dogs. Mm. But there probably is a familial tendency for that to happen as well. So Mm -hmm. people need to be aware of it. So if you have a hernia in your baby puppy and it's bigger than the end of your pinky, get it fixed. That's what I'm saying. (laughs) And what a lot of people don't realize, and their veterinarians should know, but don't always know, is that even if you can only feel a hernia on one side, both sides need to be fixed. So while she's under or he's under, then it should be repaired at the same time. I just fixed an inguinal hernia about a year ago on a coonhound puppy that had dropped about two feet of intestines into his scrotal sac. So it was pretty cool because the... You're going with cool. I'm going with not <laughs> well, cool. <laughs> it's cool from a surgical perspective because I took really nice video of watching it disappear. So we opened up his belly and then pulled his intestines in and then fixed his hernia. So it happens in males and females. But of course, the males, we don't have to worry about their uterus falling down in there. But we do have to worry about other organs falling down into the hernia. Yeah. So it's cool if you're the surgeon. It's not cool if, it's, you're, if you're the surgeon and you're getting to see the fascinating things that the body can do. And oh so my I- gosh. <laughs> yeah, I had a pug that got sort of strongly held by a wire hair pointer. I'm being really politically correct here. Externally, there was not a hole to be seen on this pug, but the pug had been bugging the wire hair and bugging the wire hair and bugging the wire hair. And the wire hair said, you know, I'm over it. And he just held him real firmly. Well, apparently he held him so firmly, he popped his guts into his testicles. I mean, literally. So it happens. There's another one. I can check that box. (laughs) Yeah. Excellent. Hang tight, guys. Got a little bit of information for you. We'll be right back to the podcast in a minute. All right, folks. 2020 has, to put it mildly, presented some challenges for all of us. 
you know, the good news, our patrons' numbers are still growing almost daily. I truly, truly cannot thank all of you enough for your support. It's been overwhelming. And for those of you who've had to reassess your budgets, please know I totally get it. And I will always be grateful for your belief in this program and the power of great content. Like the NPR of dogdom, Pure Dog Talk is here for you every day to make sense out of everyday things, to add nuance to your understanding and tools to your tech box, to bring history to life and propel the living history of purebred dogs into the future. Our patrons make all of this possible. The funds are specifically designated only for overhead. They literally keep the MP3s rolling. Meanwhile, the patrons-only After Dark Facebook Live and Zoom meetings each month truly have been a fabulous success. Conversation, support, laughter, some education, some mentorship, lots of encouragement, and even, randomly, the occasional adult beverage. So click the link at www.puredogtalk.com and become a patron today. Your small contribution helps make a huge voice for purebred dogs. So another box checking opportunity, torsioned uterine horn. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Usually in my case, my bitch was pregnant and due to whelp or in whelp actually. And Welp, the first couple of puppies got hung up and got her up and took a look at her at the vet. And they're like, yeah, no, this is a problem. <laughs> yeah. And the problem is it's difficult to diagnose those until you're in the surgical procedure. There's not anything we can really tell on x-ray or ultrasound that can look at why the bitch isn't progressing other than to say, you know what? She's had all the right things line up and it's just not going well. So we need to go to surgery. And this is why you don't want to wait forever. When those bitches stop producing puppies, you need to get some veterinary care. Now, I've seen a lot of uterine horns that have flipped into an unfortunate position and don't have the ability for a puppy to pass through, but I've never seen one that actually lost the blood supply to it and was devitalized and had to be removed. So it is relatively common. I think we probably see one every couple of months here, but we do 200 C-sections a year, so right. we're you know not seeing an average caseload in our practice. Right. But we also had one dog... This is like the icky story day. One dog that had a normal uterine horn on one side at her C-section and the other side had aplasia. Mm -hmm. So in other words, the uterine horn didn't connect from the ovary down to the cervix. It ended in a blind pouch and it ended up with a pyometra in it consecutively with the pregnancy and the other horn. Ew. Yeah, it was great. On that particular great. Point, we took out the uterine horn and the ovary on the side that was affected and left her with the other uterine horn. And she went on to produce another litter of puppies with four in it. And then her daughter went on to produce puppies with 10. With one ovary and one uterine horn? Yeah, it was a lab. She was fine. <laughs> you know, they're labs. But her daughter, I did a C-section on her daughter several years later, obviously. And she went on to have 10 puppies, two urine horns, two ovaries, all the normal equipment. Right. So that's just one of life's little oddball things that happens. And we don't think that that's an inherited disorder. So you can see weird things. But remember, you can take out one uterine horn and leave the other one just because something's not normal. We just made news on this podcast. <laughs> I, 40 years in dogs. Who would have thought that you could leave one uterine horn and have a puppy? Yeah. No, you can. You don't need the whole set of equipment. You only need half of it. 
wow, things that you should know, listeners. Well, you, you know, need nature one. gave us duplications of almost everything in our bodies. And there's a reason for that. You have one liver, you have one heart, but you know, you've got two ovaries and two, two kidneys and two uterine horns. And, you know, the guys have two testicles, two lungs, yeah, two lungs, yeah. five lobes. It's all duplicated <laughs> for a reason because then you have a reserve. So Nature has provided, or God, depending on what your beliefs are, mm-hmm. we have been provided with reserves. So take advantage of that and think on your feet, you know, use your head. If your veterinarian decides at some strange hour of the day that you have a crisis, think about what your alternatives are. That is fascinating. Okay. I'm just saying that is fascinating. Now <laughs> we talk a lot about spay and neuter, early spay and neuter, what can happen, what can't happen, ovarian tumors. So again, scary, weird girl dog stuff. You say not very common. No, not common. Even though most of the dogs that a lot of practices see are spayed and neutered, we see a lot of intact dogs in our practice, and it is not common to see ovarian tumors or uterine tumors. I've diagnosed one uterine tumor, and of course, it was my daughter's Bernie's Mountain Dog. Of course. And she had lymphoma, which she did pass away from. The lymphoma metastasized fairly quickly, and she was gone. But that's the only time I've ever seen a tumor in the uterus. Of course, it's your kid's dog, right? Right. Ovarian tumors are not common, and there's probably more of them than we recognize. First of all, you're not going to see them when dogs are spayed when they're young, because, of course, that just isn't common. But I spayed a Bernese Mountain dog last week because she had had a history of infertility and was never pregnant. And so we finally said, okay, well, out this equipment goes before she ends up with a bio, because Bernese Mountain dogs, 46% of them that aren't spayed end up with biometrists. Right which is a whole nother discussion and sent her whole reproductive tract in because of her history of infertility and found that both ovaries had the same tumor in it. They didn't look like they were serious and they were completely excised and everything is fine. But nevertheless, you can see ovarian tumors. And I think I've probably only ever seen one dog die from an ovarian tumor. And that's in many, 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 many years of practice mm-hmm. with most of our dogs being intact in our practice. So we have a second right. doctor practice. We're not a little practice, you know, we're a decent sized practice that where most of the dogs are not spayed because of the reproduction. So we've seen a lot of ovaries over the years and I've seen maybe one dog die from it. Interesting. Very, very interesting. Well, and we've talked and we'll link to it in previous podcasts about why we do not do early spay and neuter. (laughs) We've already talked about that and we'll make sure we have a link to it. But the other one that I think is interesting that comes into play You and I were talking about it off air. The question, and I went through this, I'm living experience of what can go wrong, but why or why not we spay a bitch if we are in the middle of a C-section? Yeah, and this is one of those things that I am very passionate about. And I used to do spays on dogs at C-sections. We would ask clients at the C-section, are you thinking that you might not breed her again? Do you want us to spay her at the time? And so I used to be one of those doctors that did this, but I learned over the years that that was an unfortunate practice. And I, in fact, got passionate enough about it after one of my clients was treated in what I considered to be inappropriately at a referral center that I wrote a five-page document, which I will share with your readers. I'm just pulling it up here. It really is five pages long. And it goes through the reasons that you should not spay at C-section. The primary reason is that one third of her blood volume will go into the trash can along with her uterus if you take her uterus out at the time of the C-section. 
And it's because there's such a huge amount of blood flow to the uterus at that time, which one would expect. And, you know, the surgeons are kind of cavalier about it. They're like, yeah, well, what's the big deal? Well, it's 30% of her blood volume, folks. That's a big deal. She's already anemic. All bitches are anemic when they go into labor for their Mm C-section. And I do pre-op blood work on all of them. So I have seen thousands and thousands and thousands of pre-op blood work on dogs that are pregnant. They're always anemic because of the expansion of blood volume, just like it is on the human side. When you're pregnant, you're almost always anemic. And when you take away one third of the blood volume of a dog that's already anemic, then you've really probably depleted her by 50%. And, you know, if you want to pay for a transfusion and you want to have the risk of a transfusion reaction and all the things that go with it, merrily go on your way. But unless the uterus is flat out black and it's going to kill her to leave it in, you should leave the uterus and then come back at a later time when the uterus is the size of your finger instead of the size of your arm. And then you can take it out. Now, I've had also the occasion where on occasion, not very often, we've had clients that have said, I really can't afford to do another procedure. This was an accidental breeding. I have the male. I have the female. It's going to happen again. I'll be back in six months. I'll end up with another C-section. Are you sure you won't spay her? Please, please, please spay her for me. I can't afford another surgery. At which point, I will do a tubal ligation. Now, that is not my preferred method of birth control. But you can either do a tubal ligation or take her ovaries and still leave her uterus so that she can't get pregnant. It doesn't reduce the risk of pyometra, which is why it is not a favored procedure on the veterinary side. They, don't, they, they just don't recommend that you do it. But when push comes to shove and it's 10 o'clock at night and you don't want to end up with an anemic dog that's dying of low blood volume and low blood pressure and she has a litter of puppies to raise, I don't want to be that doctor that makes a decision that's life-altering or life-shortening about that dog. So it's really easy to do a tubal ligation. The overducts are very visible at the C-section. It's simple to do. You put a couple ligatures on, take up the middle section, or if you must, take the ovaries. Because dogs don't need their ovaries to lactate. We know that. But I just really think that it's critical that people are informed with this information. And that's why I'm going to share this article with you that I wrote. I did share it with some of the theriogenologists and some of the ER docs. So it has been reviewed and the emergency room doctors don't like it. The theriogenologists love it. So it depends on where you stand when you look at this issue. But I personally am not going to kill a dog because I did a spay at a C-section. That's just not in my wheelhouse. Right. Well, like I said, I had a bitch with a torsioned uterine horn that I said, okay, we're going to go ahead and spay. It was her last litter and we almost lost her. She almost bled out. And in the hurry of trying to save her life, my veterinarian, who was an excellent surgeon, did a great job, but nothing against him at all. Somehow there was some small piece of ovary that got missed. And she came in season until she died at 15. Yeah. You know, every year, every eight months, there she was. Sure. And when the first time it happened, I called up one of my best friends who's a veterinarian. And I said, are you kidding me? How is this possible? You know, it's a very difficult time to do a spay and do a good job. Mm. And I've seen ligatures slip because the blood volume that flows to the uterus at that point, instead of the blood vessels being little tiny ones, they're the size of your little finger. So they're bigger, they're harder to ligate. So there's a lot of risks that go with it. And it's just not a great option. Now, if the uterus is bleeding, and this did happen to one of my clients when her dog was in a C-section in another part of the country, they really couldn't get the bleeding to stop. So you can inject oxytocin directly into the uterus at the surgical procedure. Now, this is something your vet would do. This is not an owner do-it-yourself-at-home kind of kit. Right. (laughs) Do not try this at home. Got it. 
So if your vet's standing in the surgery room and they can't get the uterus to stop bleeding and they're like, well, I think we have to spay her, you have two choices at that point besides spaying her. One is to inject oxytocin directly into the muscle of the uterus because it's going to give a really nice local effect of contracting it down and cutting down on the bleeding. The other alternative is there are things like gels that you can put into body cavities and body tissues to stop the bleeding. They're intended to be blood clotting aids. They come as a sheet, they come as a powder, they come in different forms. Those can also be used in the uterus and they will disintegrate and not leave behind any residue. So that's another option for people to utilize if they're in a panic and they're trying to figure out what they can do to save their bitch and save their litter. So those are things that veterinarians need to kind of brush up on a little bit in Mm -hmm. advance. Or Mm -hmm. if you're the owner, be aware, have this article in your hand, be prepared. Advocate for your dog. I say this all the time. You have to advocate for your dog, just like you have to advocate for yourself with medical professionals. And I mean, you and I have talked before No veterinarian likes a client that comes in and says, you have to do it this way. Exactly. So it's about that conversation. (laughs) And it's the relationship you have and it's being prepared and knowing all your ducks are in a row, but having the information you need in advance so that you don't end up with this last minute thing. There's a fabulous book and it is not veterinary, it's human. But as long as you've mentioned it, it's called How Doctors Think. It's written by Jerome Groupman, G-R-O-O-P-M-A-N. He's a physician. And it sounds like it's a book written for doctors, but it's really a book written for patients or their patient advocates. I have probably given away 20 copies of it. I've read it Mm. twice. And every time I'm reading it, someone comes in that I think needs a copy. So I hand it to them and they leave with it. And so I buy another one because I think it's important. But it talks about patient advocacy and how medical mistakes happen. And it happens on the veterinary side as well as on the human side. So it gives you insights into how things work in the medical field and some ammunition so that you can help to communicate better with your healthcare provider, whether it's yours or that of a family member or friend, you've got the ammunition you need to communicate. So I think it's a book that everyone, I don't care who you are, if you go to the doctor or know anyone that goes to the doctor, which is pretty much everybody, I think you all need to have a copy and read it. So Dr. Grootman is, I've never met him. It's a fabulous book. Awesome. Well, and having been through, you know, both my parents have passed away and blah, blah, blah. Patient advocacy is a thing, but I think it is a thing for your dog too. Right. And they can't advocate for themselves. No, exactly. And sometimes the veterinarian will, and that's not an easy position to be in as a veterinarian. Sometimes I have to look at a client and say, this is really not okay for your dog or your cat to go through. This is really what we need to do because people are paralyzed. They can't always make a good decision. Right. But I try not to be that paternalistic veterinarian that walks in the room and dictates things. But sometimes you just have to take a stand and say, this is not what's best for your pet. And people tend to appreciate that, but not in the moment. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, scary things that can happen to our girl dogs. (laughs) And I'm a little terrified by the number of them that I've personally (laughs) lived through and seen in 40 years. Oh, Lordy. Understandably, yes. But it does give you a perspective. And sometimes you wonder how this can all go wrong. And then other times you look at it and say, how can so many things go right? Yeah. There are so many physiological and anatomical things that can go wrong. It is something of a miracle that your heart beats every beat it's supposed to. Exactly. And that you take every breath you're supposed to. And all the other things happen that just miraculously get us alive and keep us alive. Life is truly precious. And I think sometimes we take too many things for granted. You know, a little profound moment at the end of the veterinary voice. I think that that is absolutely true, Marty. Thank you so much, my dear. I will talk to you again soon. Thank you. 
As always, if you have any questions or input, we'd love to hear from you. The show notes and links to resources on today's topic are available at puredogtalk.com. Drop us a note in the comments or email to laura at puredogtalk.com. Remember, guys, this podcast is for you. So if you want to know something, give me a holler. We'll do a podcast for you. If you wouldn't mind, you could help me out here. Take a couple minutes to visit iTunes and give us a review. The Dog Show Superintendents Association is a proud supporter of Pure Dog Talk. Our Dog Show Superintendents are the hardworking people who make the dog show function. They are advocates for education and mentorship in the purebred dog fancy. So stop by the Supers Desk at your next show. Tell them how much you love Pure Dog Talk and give them a shout out for their support. That's all for today. Thank you for joining us on Pure Dog Talk.